right, good morning, Ocean City Church family. How about Ella Harmon on the stage right now by herself? <laughs> Ella, Ella's one part of the worship team. Uh, I tried to make a big deal about our worship team in the first service. A lot of you guys don't know that the worship team will show up here on Sundays at 6, 6.30 a.m. and be here till almost 2 o'clock. They get here early, they practice, they rehearse, they get everything in their heads right, their hearts right, and then they spend time in prayer before they come out here and lead us. So I appreciate all the effort they put in, and, and almost none of them get paid. So how about a hand for the worship team? Thank you guys for being here. We really appreciate it. And I don't know if you guys saw, I did this joke in the first service, and it was pretty funny. Did you see the very handsome 50-year-old leading the service? Man, that guy's good. Derek's 50th birthday. You guys need to laugh at that. That was funny. Our lead pastor, Derek Harmon, turned 50 years old this week. And I am convinced that the God of heaven loves him deeply because Derek is a huge surfer. And during his birthday week of 50, God sent day after day after day of waves. And Derek will surf more than most 25-year-olds. Uh, he's very passionate about it. I don't know how his back doesn't hurt all the time. I surf one day, and I'm a fireman. I'm super tough. So I was, but my back was killing me after like two and a half hours. I'm like, no, I'm good. I'll just tell everybody I surfed first day, which I did, but I was like, no, nah, that's good enough for me. Derek surfed every single day. I don't know how he's not completely sunburned all the time, uh, sunscreen. But yeah, if you get a chance, he's the lead pastor. I love him, but he's also a good man. And this week was his 50th birthday. Hug him, tell him you love him. Uh, we're lucky to have him, and I'm glad he, that he's my friend, and I appreciate uh, him loving me and, and giving me an opportunity to serve underneath him. There won't be any tears. Relax, okay? Yeah, you guys know I love Derek. Um, but we were talking this week, Derek and I, and we just finished our series on the book of James. We had five chapters, and it took forever, it felt like, because uh, it was very in, intense amount of stuff, but it was great. Five, five chapters, very challenging but I think very necessary for the people in this room, for this church family, the people here that have been coming here consistently. It was really good. We're getting ready to launch a new uh, series next week that we're really excited about. Uh, but today, Derek was, in, he was telling me, you know, he really wanted us to transition between the two and um, kind of give you, you know, Derek just talked about how we're going into the fall we're, and, and, you know, we're, we're kind of gathering together again and just kind of give us a big picture of where we are, those of us that have been a part of this church for a while, what we're doing, what we're excited about, and then kind of challenge and inspire all of us to continue to serve Jesus in the ways that he uh, maps out through the scriptures that we're going to talk about today. But some of the good things that are going on, uh, student gatherings have started back again. Wednesday nights, uh, over the last few weeks, we've had over 50 total people uh, attending it's been super awesome. Mary Beth is not in this, but Mary Beth has built a, a team of 12 adult anchors that are serving uh, outside of staff on Wednesday night, and it's awesome. For all of you that have surfed with our students, I really appreciate it, and I, I'm, I'm really excited about these new people that have joined. And for those of you that are new to this and you're in this room, it's, I don't know if you're, I, could, I don't, can't remember where you are, keep doing it. It's going to be worth it. You're going to change somebody's life don't stop serving. Be a part of it. Jesus is with you. Two or three in the, gather in the midst. You're helping with these young people, and it's exciting. But it's really cool because a lot of the, I mean, they're not just like showing up here and watching kids play. I mean, we've got Christian uh, taking uh, students out to lunch after church on Sundays. We've got 
uh, adults hosting small groups in their houses on Sundays. They're in there. They're doing the thing. Uh, Peyton has done this for a long time, but now she's got other people joining this team that are really investing in our young people, and it's exciting. Um, our flex space next door, we're almost done. I want to thank all of you that were able to come and help paint and get things ready. We're really, really close. It's really going to ex- really change our capabilities on Sunday. You probably don't know this, but those spaces right now, we're almost at 80 kids every week. We've got over 60 families with kids that attend this church. It's not always super full in the second service, but in the first service, the space is tiny. So this is going to, for Shelly Whitmire, she just came on as our uh, children's director. This is going to change them, her team's, uh, everything they do over there is going to be bigger, longer, more space. We're going to put all the first through fifth on Sundays over there and then knock down a wall and make a whole bunch of room for all the uh, four and five-year-olds, which is my most favorite age of children. Because they're like, even if they're bad, they're like, you can still snag them up and be like, all right, stop being bad. When they're like third grade, they're really hard to just snag uh, and they're cuter when they're uh, four or five years old. Um, but yeah, we're going to use it for a lot, a lot of stuff. That was stupid, but that just came out of my mouth. Uh, but you should have seen how cute Kaylee was when she was four. <laughs> and Sadie, Sadie looked like a mini Sarah, and she was so adorable. Uh, they're very cute now, but those times were really fun. Um, so Derek talked about city groups were cranking up in two weeks. If you should know this as well. A lot of good things happen here, even through this pandemic. People's lives were touched. People were coming together in Jesus' name. And one of the things that we're really proud about is our city groups. Uh, We had over 200 people consistently meeting in homes uh, throughout 2020, which is a lot of people. We we had eight groups. Uh, We're fixing to have 10. We're launching two new ones potentially coming up in a few weeks. Uh, And that's a lot of people to be meeting. I mean, on average, our Sundays are somewhere between 350 and 400 people coming to two services on Sunday. So that's over 50% of the people gathering together and loving each other. Um, It's super cool. We're introducing some new initiatives for those groups, too, where we really want to get our prayer teams and our care teams involved with serving alongside uh, the awesome people that serve as shepherds uh, here at... um, Ocean City Church. It's really neat. Um, It's inspiring. I'll tell you more about that in a little bit. But so that's kind of where we are. And we're talking about small groups, large gatherings, big big gatherings. And oh, also, we just came out of summer. I don't know how many of you were able to attend, but we had our Tribe and Oasis uh, summer study. We went with um, Louis Giglio's teaching on don't give an enemy a seat at your table. And he walked us through Psalm 23. Super cool. Um, Very inspiring. And so Derek and I were talking a few days ago, and he was like, hey, I really want you to listen to some of these, this uh, series that Louie did from Passion, and it was called Everybody, and I, I encourage you to listen to it, um, especially the one called Everybody Knows Your Name. A lot of that stuff has really got me jazzed, so I'll, I'm excited to talk to you guys about what I'm going to say, but I'll try to not yell too much. But it's good stuff. You need to hear it, and I want to give Louie all the credit. I'll try to refer to him, but if I sound anything like him, uh, Louie, thank you. Uh, I just wanted all the people at Ocean City to hear uh, what you were saying. Louie, can you hear me? You run a giant. That's stupid, too. Um, so anyway, the t- message today, thank you for laughing at that. When I do the real jokes, you don't laugh, and then when I say something stupid, you laugh. Can't, can't figure this crowd out yet, but I'll get there. You'll see. Uh, today's message is called Crippled Sheep to Royal Priests. So we're, that's where we're starting, and that's where we're going to land And we're going to paint this picture, and then we're going to go. So we're going to be in John 10 and Acts 3. We are going to uh, read from John 10, and uh, I want to point out some things and then tell you a story. So verse 10 and 10, it says, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, this is Jesus speaking, anyone does not enter uh, the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way as a thief and a robber. 
The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper, remember that word, gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice, that they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize his voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So therefore, Jesus gets a little more intense. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate. I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. He repeats it twice. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture, which sounds a lot like me to that verse that says, live and move and have their being. They're finding pasture. They're finding peace. They will come and go. This is Jesus' desire for us. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to a full. God's desire is to give you a, a good, full life. He longs for you to be whole and happy and have a full life. These are Jesus' words. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And then Jesus again repeats himself, I am the good shepherd. My sheep, I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father and I, the father knows me and I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And here's Jesus' ultimate goal. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Uh, a few weeks ago, I told you guys how um, Sarah's parents used to have a farm and I was an awesome cowboy. Uh, if you don't remember that, I'm going to tell you about it again. I was an awesome cowboy. Uh, when we were like 18, 19 years old, we graduated from high school. I was dating her. Her parents moved to Palm Valley. And they built five acres, and they built a horse farm, like beautiful red, like you see in the magazines, just awesome. And they had all these pins everywhere, and it was, it was kid heaven and also just Dave heaven. It was this huge space and just lots going on. And I was always there because that's where she was. She was living with her parents, and I would already figured out, like, this is the girl. I want to marry that one, and so I need to just uh, do whatever that takes. And so her parents, like I said, retired and lived there for a few years, and they finally decided to take, like, their dream vacation to was it Italy or Spain? Okay, Italy. Uh, I think I said Spain in the first service, but it, unimportant information. Um, so they're going to go to Spain, and they need a hired hand, right here, hired hand to take care of these animals. And there's a lot of them, right? And I mean, I was like, oh, this is perfect. I will do this perfectly, and they will come back and be like, you can marry our daughter. You're an awesome human being. But I, the plan was like, this is you know, I can't screw this up. This is going to be easy. So her dad takes me out there and he's showing me all the different pastures and this is how you feed them and how you turn them on uh, the water. And this is what you do night and day. And I'm like, piece of cake, no problem. And then all of a sudden he says, Hey, whatever you do, do not let the horses go over there. And you look and there's this one pen that is literally just beautiful. He had just built, he brought in all this beautiful orange clay and built this giant, uh, uh, clay track around this giant live oak tree that two people couldn't put their hands around him. And he, and he, by seed, he planted the most beautiful green grass all the way around the track. It looked like the Garden of Eden grass, like 
beautiful green, perfectly looking. You look over there and it's like, oh. He's like, do not let the horses in there. They want to eat that grass really bad. They'll ruin it. Make sure the, the, the gate's shut. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. Hired hand. Are you seeing where this is going? 19, 20 years old, like Eric. We pay attention to everything, you know? Nothing gets by us. I'm like, uh huh, where's Sarah? I don't see where she is. Uh, so they go, on the, they go on the trip, and I'm doing the thing, man. I'm showing up early, like 6 a.m., doing the feel, like, come on, making all the cool noises. I'm a sh- I'm this, this shepherd stuff is a piece of cake. Come on, horse, give them the thing, dump the hay. Uh, one problem, to turn on the water, you had to go into the Garden of Eden because that's where the well was. So because I am extremely athletic, I just hop right over the fence, bam, turn it on, wait till it fills up, turn it off do a flip back over the fence, and uh, I'm out of the Garden of Eden. You know, I'm back, now I'm going to school. I was going to FSCJ or whatever it was called back then, and uh, all was well. A few days go in, no problems. Then one day, I, I didn't set my alarm, and I woke up late. So I had to be at class at 8. It was like 7.15. I'm freaking out. So I drive over there really fast, and I'm just rushing. And in my haste, I, instead of jumping over the fence to get to heaven, I opened the gate and hurried up, ran over there, and turned on the water, filled it up, ran out, and I did not shut the gate. And so I come back at dinner time, and the worst thing that could happen, Satan has entered a garden. Uh, because all five or six horses are in there just eating. They're eating this grass like this, the most intense way you could eat anything. And they're just like, like run, they're walking around eating, and I'm like, oh, my God, no. Like, this is going to ruin my life. I'm going to, how am I going to, oh. So, like, I freak out. I'm like, oh, I'll try to speak their language. No, get out of there. And they totally ignored that. So I'm like, oh, my God, I'm not going to be able to marry Sarah. Like, they are just, I mean, eating everything. And I don't know why animals that big love to eat grass. But, man, if they ate anything else, they'd just get too fat and die. But they just eat all day. And uh, so now I'm freaking out. I'm like, all right. I got to get him out of there. So I jumped the fence again, awesomely, barely touch the top of it. And I just start running at him. Ugh! Shepherds never do that. Rule number one, hired hand, do not chase six horses and scream at them. They started to stampede. They're just running around. And so then I go from chasing them to like running for my life, like, oh my God, jump over the fence. And they're destro- as they're stampeding, they're destroying everything, tearing up, I mean, the track and the grass is flinging up. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. I'm trying everything. I get this green hay uh, that they love. It's like chocolate cake to them called alfalfa. And I'm like, hey. <laughs> like they listen to like a dog. They're horses. Quinn, they don't care about that. And they just keep moving away from me. And I'm like, ooh, you know, I'm a little scared. I go get a rope. And my plan was I'll just get one at a time and lead these suckers out. And maybe if I get one, these dummies will just follow them, you know. So I get near to one. Second failure. Nobody tells you this in the hired hand handbook. Do not sneak up behind a horse from the rear. They do this thing where they go like this. So I'm sneaking up on them. I'm talking to them real sweet. I'm like, hey, buddy. Woohoo. You know, but they're already jazzed. They're like, this guy's a liar. He's a huge liar. You know, and they have massive eyeballs. And when he got, when I got close, I still remember this day, the whites of his eyes just growing. And he, like in slow motion, he was just like, no, you're not. Wham! Kicked me right in the thigh. I mean, I mean, kaptoosh. And I yelled out a very manly uh, howl. No screaming, because I'm a man. But it's so loud that it, not, and it hurts so bad. You ever had a Charlie horse? This is a super Charlie horse. This whole leg is dead at this point. And I'm just like, oh! And it scares him again, and the stampede starts again. So I'm like, like this leg doesn't work, and they're all like looking around there. I jump over the fence, and now I'm just, I hate you guys. 
I'm throwing ropes at him. I don't cuss because I'm a pastor. Even then, I knew that was wrong. I'm, sh- I'm picking up rocks, and I'm like, you ruined everything. Now I'll never marry Sarah. They'll never believe me. Uh, why am I telling this long story about this horse? It's because I want to make a point. I was not the shepherd. This is why they did not follow me out of the Garden of Eden. I was not the shepherd. They didn't trust me. The shepherd had never chased them and thrown rocks at them, right? He had never uh, screamed at them and, and, and coerced them. I was manipulating the horses to get to Sarah. I, was, I didn't love them. I'd never taken care of them, but the good shepherd was Sarah's dad, and he, he really took care of these horses, man. In the, in, the, in the winter when it's getting cold, I don't think horses would die when it's 38 degrees outside, but he would, he'd bring them in the barn and put these blankets over and crank up all these space heaters for the horses. In the summer, he'd bring them, you know, he'd put up all these box fans in the barn, and he spent a lot of money on this spray to keep all the horse flies off them. He bathed them. He'd feed them. At night, he, if the moon was out, he'd go and walk, walk out there with his, with his horses. They trusted him. They knew his voice. He had loved them, cared for them, been with them for years. He was the good shepherd to them, and I was not. And uh, I say all that to say my experience here, my personal experience, Ocean City Church, with the shepherds that we have that we call city group leaders has not been a hired hand experience. It's been a good shepherd experience. They've been good shepherds and gatekeepers for us. Uh, Some of my most solid relationships over the last six years have come from me participating in city group. My first ever city group leader was Dan McFerrin. Uh, He's one of the elders here. Um, the next ones I had were Joe and Mike Gajewski, uh lead anchors in the church. Darren Vianger was my city has been my city group leader the last two years. All of these people have become my friends. They've been a part of my life. I've been a part of their lives, and they've cared for me. They've cared for Sarah. They've cared for my family. Well, there's some good shepherds here. But we here's here's kind of where I'm going. We had a team event for our city group leaders, and I realized I told the whole team we have 200 plus people, and I don't have enough shepherds. You guys have been doing this for a long time. I need more people that want to lead and love and care and shepherd and open gates in small groups in the church. I need more people. We need more people. And why can't it be us? Wouldn't it be something if you attended this church and one of the things you aspired to over a certain amount of seasons is to become a city group, city group leader? I don't know what a gloop is. Um, yeah, but, you know, here's the thing. Derek and I talked about this, and he had told me, he's like, yeah, we've, we've really for years worked at this and never gave up on it, this whole idea of small gatherings. And I did some research, and I found that a lot of churches kind of do give up on it. They stop pushing, they stop pulling, they stop encouraging their people to join these smaller gatherings, and why? Why is that? Because it's pretty simple. Relationships and people are hard, right? It gets messy, it takes effort, it it takes kind of some vulnerabilities, Um, a lot of expectations that don't get met, people can be annoying, uh, they're hard. Relationship building is hard. So when you come into a new group in a new space, the large gathering, yes, is very, very meaningful, but it's easy to sit here because you don't really have to talk to anybody. You just worship and you could leave and you don't have to be vulnerable because we're in this space, but you get into a city group in a circle with 18, 20 other people, vulnerability hits and that's, that can be scary. It's messy, right? But there's beauty in the mess. There's strength that comes when we come together in unity. And Scripture says in Proverbs 14, uh, barn analogy, when, where no oxen are, the stalls are clean, but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. If you're going to be in a church, if you're going to be in a small group, if you're going to be in a body of believers, I would tell you, anticipate dirty stalls. Things are going to get messy. 
Things are going to be hard. The stalls are going to be d- dirty. But there's, when the more of us together, the more strength that comes, the more unity comes, the more that Jesus is glorified and lifted up, the more that you see and recognize his presence. That's why he says, two or three are gathered. I'm in the midst. Anticipate dirty stalls, and I would say be willing to be one of the ones that wants to be a gatekeeper. Be willing, one of the ones, I'll shepherd, I'll clean up, I'll be there, I'll love, I'll care, I'll be kind, I'll push through. This is the way of Jesus, and we're going to talk about it in a minute, but this is what disciples of Christ look like. We follow him, we act like him, this is the way he behaved. And he calls for us to mimic, imitate him, and be disciples like uh, the way Jesus behaved. Uh, I remember when our parents, they had that place for 20 years. It was awesome. My kids grew up out there. Uh, super cool experience. But they got older. It was too much to take care of. Lots of mowing. Every time there was a storm, trees fall down. And blocking driveways. So much work uh, with the chainsaw. And so they finally sold it. And they got the whole place all dialed up. All the horses are now gone. And the barn looks beautiful like it should be in magazines. And just walking in there, it just felt sad. Like its purpose was gone. Like it was made for their horses to be in there. It was made for the mess. It was made for the closeness. It was made for the care. It was made for the love. And it just didn't feel the same anymore. So I think it, one of the reasons people don't do city group or small group or why churches is difficult is because of the relational side. But I also think that people, churches as a whole and people in churches have lost the vision on why you do. Why do it? What's the vision? What's the purpose of getting into these smaller groups within a church? Um, and I'm going to try to map it out. We've said it. Derek said it. We just had acclimate. We talked about it. I think Beth might have originated it. First time I ever heard her say it. But this is the simplest way we can describe city groups at Ocean City. Big church made small. That's the vision. What's vision? Big church. What church? Our church. What's the vision of Ocean City Church? To invite anyone and everyone to experience the ocean of grace that only exists in Jesus. So here's the challenge. This is the challenge today. That's the vision. That's why we do it. It's invitation to what? The experience that we've had. Jesus has changed my life. I can tell you stories where he's come in, saved me, been near to me, leaded me, guided me like a good shepherd. You have experienced salvation. Some of you, most of you, you have an experience that you could share, that you could invite other people into. The people in a small group, a city group, in a church, when we come together, they get to experience that God is good. God is love. God is kind. God will do anything to come down from heaven to save you. And he did. His name is Jesus. Jesus saves and seeks the lost. He even said, I've come to seek and save the lost. These are, this is what Jesus is like. But here's the, here's the challenge. Who's responsible for the invitation? Who's the, who are the ones doing the inviting to anyone and everyone. Who is responsible for the invitation? Is it Derek and Beth? Is they responsible for this? Is it the elders? The elders of the church that help plan it? Is, are they, are, do they own the invitation? Is it the staff members? Or, are they the ones doing the inviting? Who owns the invitation? Who lives out the invitation? Who does the inviting? It's you. It's me. We must own the invitation. We, our stories, our journeys, our, 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 our kindness, our love should come together to point other people to Jesus, to bring them near, bring them near to the ocean of grace. 
man, the surf was up this week. We were talking about it. And it's amazing. You get there out on the, on the beach, and, and when the swell is like that and you see them come up, it's, it's, it's really it's, it's awesome. It's a little uh, intimidating. But when you actually go out into the ocean and you see these swells of water coming up, and they're just they're, you can see them coming from far away, and you can anticipate how it's going to go, and it usually doesn't go the way that you, you think it will be. This is what it's like when we're inviting people. It's like, look, you're on the shoreline, but out there, it washes over you. God comes near to you. His presence, his love, his kindness. Yes, and we're, we're inviting people in. You own the invitation. We need to own the invitation. People need to experience Jesus, and they're all around us. I bet right now you can picture people right now that are lost sheep in your life, in your school, in your, near your workplace, in your family. We need to own the invitation and bring them to the sands where Jesus washes over us with grace and love and kindness. How do, what's the best way to do this invitation? Romans 2.4 uh, is through kindness. Jesus was a kind and good shepherd. Romans 2.4 uh, says, and Paul puts this kind of in a form of a question, not realize, do you not realize that it's God's kindness is, that is intended to lead you to repentance? The kindness is what brought you and me, God's kindness, his grace. It led us to the cross and so when we are kind to others, when we act like God, it, that kindness that we show other people, not pity, but kindness, it leads people to repentance, repentance from sin. It, repentance brings you near the cross where you find salvation in Jesus, right? And when you get saved, when he, when he makes you new, you go from death to life, you get adopted into his family. You are now made a son or daughter, scripture says. We'll point that out in a second. But here's the thing. We're talking this whole shepherd's uh, sheep analogy. Jesus was known as what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His own cousin called him that as he came and got his own baptism. John said, behold, there he is. That's the Lamb. John already could see it. John already knew this is the one. The blood's going to be poured. He's going to take the sins. He's going to take the guy, and he's going to turn everything that we always hoped and dreamed could be real into a reality. Jesus, the Lamb of God. So yeah, for humanity, we kind of get that. Like if you spend time around Christianity, you're like, yeah, Jesus sits on the throne of salvation. He saves me. We understand that, right? But here's the thing. He's not, he doesn't just sit on a throne of salvation. He is literally the king of the universe. He is the royal ruler of all that exists in all of eternity. Wrapped in his, he comes down in a human form. He's very much human, just as much as he is God. And this is the same guy that is the lamb of God that saves the same God. So it, when Jesus was doing instituting communion, you know, the, the bread and the wine, uh, it was during Passover. Passover is Old Testament times where uh, they, the Israelites were being freed from Egypt, and they had to do this thing where they put blood on the door, and the spirit of death came by, and if you didn't have that blood on, uh, you know, the firstborns would die. And then they, it's just this whole thing that the, uh, the Hebrews would celebrate every year that God, the angel of death, passed by. He had he had mercy on us, right? And traditionally on Passover, there'd be four cups, this whole big dinner, the Passover dinner, the Seder dinner, there's four cups with different meeting of, that would be held up and there would be a prayer in Hebrew that was prayed. Uh, the third cup at the communion, uh, Jesus' first, you know, instituting the sacrament of communion was known as the cup of redemption. And it was typically raised after the meal. And so here's Jesus, the Lamb of God, holding up the, what? The cup of redemption. And he prays this Hebrew prayer of thanksgiving to God. And he literally says, blessed are you, Lord God, king of the universe. Jesus calls God the king of the universe. Blessed are you, Lord God, king of the universe that creates the fruit of the vine. And then he brings it down. And he says, this is my blood of the new covenant. 
This is the king of the universe adopting us into his family like a lamb. And it made him happy. Galatians 4, 5, it says, uh, to redeem the, why did he do this? He declares that to redeem those under the law that they might receive adoption to sonship. Ephesians 1 is awesome. For you chosen us before him, the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoptions to sonship through Jesus in accordance, look at this, in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Adopted into God's family, Jesus' blood saves us. We're redeemed. We're brought into this family of God, and God's grace is glorified through adoption. Adoption glorifies God's grace, and he did this because it makes him happy. He wants you as a son. He wants you as a daughter. His pleasure, his will was to make you his, to be in his family. It's beautiful, right? It's beautiful. Beautiful words, very poetic. Here's the tension and the reality of it all, though. Oops, I do that every time. Usually Mary Beth gets it for me, though. She's not in here. Oh, yeah, she's right there. Um, right, right at the tense part. God, I got to start back over. But the tension of it all, right? Very beautiful. Yeah, we like all that stuff. But here's the reality. Being adopted is not easy. It's beautiful to say and it's awesome, but it's not easy for the one being adopted. It's good, it's glorious, they love it, but being adopted is hard. Why? Because you're, 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 everything about you has now changed. One of my children is adopted. His name's Kennedy. Many of you know him. He was just a little guy, six years old when we got him. He couldn't even speak the language. But here he is. I, Sarah and I, we've adopted him, and we've given him the name of Zarmak. He gets all the rights, all the privileges, all the responsibility of that name, Zarmak, is his. And he can't even understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. He doesn't know the language. But yet, it's, he's coming in, and, and he's, he still carries the scars from his past. This poor guy, he was really little. He had been neglected so much that he didn't even know how to be held. Like, you hold a child, and they, you know, they wrap their legs around you. You would pick this little guy up, and you hold him, and his legs would just dangle straight because he hadn't been held enough to know how to actually do it. Right? And this is how we come into God's family sometimes, right? Yes, God adopts us he, by his blood. He brings us in. We're now in the family of God, but we don't even speak his language yet. We, ha- we don't have this relationship. Yes, it's beautiful. Yes, it's glorious. But there is a journey into the family that can be hard. Right? No one is meant to be an orphan. You're not meant to be alone. You're not meant to be an orphan. But even when you get adopted, you still can carry the scars from your former life. And you still are looking at, ahead and afraid because you can't always understand the language and you don't know what's coming. You just know that you were lost and now somebody has found you. That's what Jesus does. This is how we come into God's family and here's why this passage in John 10 makes so much sense to me. God knows that. He knows this adopting, this cleaving, this new family. You're being brought to that life. It's going to be difficult at times. And so he gives us an analogy of a shepherd and a sheep. You're a sheep. You can't, sheep can't understand. Sheep are dumb. Sheep aren't even really that cute, which is kind of a mean thing to compare us to. I mean, they have odd shapes. Uh, they, you, I, I, I've never been around a bunch of sheep, but I imagine they don't smell so great. Um, but yeah, like they, he's, I'm, I'm a good shepherd. You're the sheep, and I'm going to lead you and guide you and care for you and get you into this place. And how does, do she, what do sheep do? He brings them in together. He puts them in pens. He puts them in spaces. He leads them as a, as a, as a group 
to still water. God knows this. And he calls himself, he calls us sheep. He calls himself good shepherd. And what, is a good, what does our good shepherd look like? What does Jesus look like? He loves, he's humble, he's kind. He says he goes after the one. He leaves the 99 to find the one. Why does he do this thing? Because he realizes the worst place for a sheep to be is alone. The worst place for a sheep to be is alone because you're vulnerable to all kinds of things. But when you bring us together, there's safety. There's safety in numbers. The shepherd's there. He will fight for you on your behalf, right? This is what God is like. This is what he's saying. And I'm saying to you, the worst place for us is just to be alone. The worst place is for us to just come and not connect and not make relationships and do the hard work that it takes. We're meant to be together. This is God's plan. And he shows us in scripture that this is what, he gives us an example on how he envisions his sheep, his followers, to live their lives. We're family now. We're meant to be together. And even if some of the other sheep are smelly and make weird noises and are annoying, you know, all I'm saying, and this is a little sidebar, if you're mad at another sheep right now, I'm not saying you shouldn't be mad, but just don't waste any more time being mad at other sheep. Just get over it. They're sheep. Remember, they're dumb. So if, <laughs> don't, don't. Do like Jesus said, like, let's just forgive, let's love, push through it. I'm, I don't want you to minimize whatever offense you are, but they're sheep. Get over it. Um, but Louis Giglio, I told you, he was his, everybody's series was so inspiring. He was talking about this circles and, and groups, and it was so awesome. He had this analogy. He's like, uh, a football game, NFL football game or college. I mean, we, we worship, I mean, cheer on our, our team, right? We get the gear, and you, you go into the stadium with 80,000 people, and you're like, yeah, go Jaguars. Do you know all the people in the, in the stands? No, you're all worshiping, or, I mean, cheering for the same thing, and you're wearing the same clothes, and you look like you know each other, and you're like, woo, but you don't know them. But who are the people that you really know, that, you're really, that are into it with you? The tailgaters, your buddies, your friends at the tailgate, right? So you show up early, and you make the hamburgers, and you play the, the beanbag game, and you might drink an adult beverage or whatever, and then you go in the game, and now you're really uh, worshiping. And then who do you meet with afterward to get home? friends, your tailgaters. And that was, it was a beautiful, yes, we love the large assembly. We love these big gatherings. We come together, we worship, we hear the reading of God's word. We serve on Sundays. We serve our kids. But also it's that and the small groups. We, we need the dialogue between brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to put in the hard work of caring and loving for one another in those small groups. And I, like I said, I would say to all of you that have been a part of the, this church for a while, you should work towards being a city group leader. Work towards being a shepherd-like uh, individual here at OCC, a gatekeeper that opens the gate and pulls people in and loves and cares and looks, uh, looks past the annoying noises and smells that they have. Thank you for laughing at that. That's right, we're sheep. There's not very... I need to go hang out with some sheep. Maybe they're not that bad smelling, but they're just, they, I don't know. There's something about them that's weird. Um, you're not meant, you were meant to get in, uh, together in, in groups. There's, there's safety in numbers. There's encouragement. There's challenge. You feel close. You're, you're gathered together, but there's also accountability, which is a word no one likes. But how are you supposed to grow in God if you're not in circles where people uh, can hold you accountable to grow and move towards your faith. This is the best way to do it. Things, things like this, accountability, comfort, challenge, love, moving towards Christ, growing as a, a disciple, happen better, in my opinion, when we're uh, consistently in relationship with others. And Jesus modeled this for us. All throughout the landscape of the Gospels, I'll point a few things out. Jesus was gentle. He was patient. He was willing to pick us up and cleanse us, lead us near the steel, still waters, like it says in Psalms. I'm willing to come after us, have a meal with us in the middle of our chaos. How can, 
it's so much beautiful language. You stop in the middle of all the chaos and you just sit with Jesus. But Je- Jesus did so much more in all the go- uh, uh, gospel accounts. Go read it for yourself. He has these huge, large gatherings. Some of them so big he has to stand in a boat and so so many people can hear him preach the word. And then he has small gatherings too. Sometimes he just has a, fi- a, a one person or two people near a fire to eat a fish. Nicodemus is where he said, you must be born again. It's the only person he said it to in scripture. You think that's like this whole thing. He said it to one person around a fire, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Big offense, small events. Sometimes he had just three, he would take up the mountain to go see glory. And then he would have his 12. He would have his city group, his disciples. This is behavior that he's modeling for us. We need to be in the large gatherings, but we also need to be in in smaller groups with just people or two or three, our fight clubs that will hold us accountable. But we also need to be in our big groups where we can love and care and have safety in numbers. This is is Jesus' way of showing us how he anticipates his followers to live their life. Why does he do this? Yes, because he loves us and he wants us to be happy. But it's, don't forget, we have to remember all of this is for one, his purpose. One flock, one shepherd. He said just before he ascended, all of us should know this that have been in Christianity on some level. This is the lamb that's now turned into the lion who's ascending to go sit on the throne of the universe. And the last thing he says to the people that can see him, go make disciples. Make disciples. Baptize them into my name, into our family. That's the command. That's the point. Go make disciples. What does the life of someone that lives out the invitation look like? They look like shepherds. What does a disciple that's trying to make other disciples, how does he behave? How does he model that? He looks like a gatekeeper. He's loving and leading and kind and patient, meeting together, getting people together, making it happen. Because most of us left alone, our hearts are prone to wander away. And isolate. Sarah has a tattoo that I like uh, on her shoulder that says, Bind my wandering heart to thee. It's from a, a hymn. Because at our core, we are rebellious. At our core, we, we will wander away and, and, and get away from the protection of the shepherd. But that's not God's will, and that's not where we need to be. We're not meant to be alone. See, the hope is the ocean city would be a city on a hill and light up this ocean of grace that we talk about, about our vision. And we need to make this happen. And like I said, Jesus is modeling it for us. He's telling us to use kindness and patience. And he also, he said, when it gets hard, use this. This is the biggest one. John 35, uh, 13, 35. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples, my shepherds, my gatekeepers, if you love one another. We're destined to shepherd and gatekeep and love. And this is God's plan to turn us into servants. We serve in God's kingdom. First Peter 2 This is what happens to a sheep when he's brought into the fold. This beautiful language. Again, I love this scripture a lot. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. Does that not sound like what we do on Sundays? Declare the praises of him who called you out in the large assembly. As we worship him together, he's brought us into wonderful light. And look, verse 10, you were once not a people. Now you're the people of God. It's about the people. It's about worshiping him. It's about coming together. Once you did not receive mercy, and now you receive mercy. We were once lost sheep. We didn't have a family. And now we've been adopted in. And we're not, when we're adopted into the king of the universe's family, we become royalty, a royal priesthood. I mean, you can't have more opposite words than royal and priest. A priest means set-apart service. 
servants and royalty, there's different. What separates royalty from everybody else is blood. And there's only one that shed his blood for me, for you, that died on the cross to take us as we weren't a people and then make me his own. He desires to make you a son. He desires to make you a daughter. He desires to care for you and guide you and lead you like a good shepherd to where you begin to behave like him and you become a set-apart servant. We serve in God's kingdom. Philippians 2, this is literally, this is what the owning the invitation to the experience looks like. Listen to these words, First, uh, 2 2. Therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, that's us, the Christians, if any comfort from his love, me, he's comforted me in my life, this is Christ. If any common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness or compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being in one Spirit and of one mind. I mean, this is it. This is it. We need to read this. This is how we're supposed to behave behave when we're together in churches, when we're together in groups. This is God's word. Do do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Are you hearing this, shepherds? Are you hearing this, gatekeepers? Value others above yourself in humility. Not looking after your own interests, but to each of you the interest of others. In, listen to Luke, Luke verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. This is the king of the universe who wrapped himself in humility. And when you wrap humility around royalty, it looks like service. It looks holy. It's set apart. That's our destiny as disciples. That's what we're supposed to look like. We go from crippled sheep to royal priests. Acts 3, I want to read you this awesome passage um, as we move towards a time of responding, because I think there's some people in here that probably need to respond in prayer. God's been tugging on your heart. Acts chapter 3 is a story where uh, Peter and John, all they were doing was going up to the temple to pray and give offerings, and something amazing happened. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man he used to beg at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. Is this not what our story was like? We used to be paralyzed, crippled, sitting outside the gate. We didn't have a people. We were on our own. All we knew was to just beg. And here is Jesus who called himself the gate. He's the beautiful gate and he's begging. He's longing for us to come through this gate. That's me. 
that's you. Maybe you've experienced that time when you were far away and you just felt like you were outside the group and here's the beautiful one, the king of the universe, the lamb of God who is the entrance to heaven, who is the entrance to life and you're just outside of it and you need a gatekeeper and you need a shepherd to help you get to that gate. This is not a picture of us. How many times have I laid outside that gate in fear? How many times have you laid outside that gate, paralyzed, crippled, not sure what to do as he longs for you to come through? He's the beautiful gate. He called himself the gate. I didn't say this in the first service, but Louis talked about how he could be a shepherd in a gate because he, the shepherd was the gate. He'd put them in their pen and then he would sit. The shepherd would sit down and tuck in in between the gate and sleep there. And the only way to get to those sheep, you had to go through him. And that's what Jesus is saying. You gotta go through me. Through me, you'll be saved. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is the beautiful gate. <clears throat> Sorry. God is just good and he's real. And what happens when we do go through that gate? We start, we get healed, we get whole, we get comfort from the other crippled sheep. And then we start jumping and praising God in large assemblies and small gatherings. And all the other people, all the other lost and crippled sheep in our lives will look at wonder and amazement at what God has done. And he, Jesus, will be glorified. We will look to him and he will be lifted up because everything is about him. One flock, one shepherd, Jesus the King. How can we not, how can we do this if we don't gather together in both big and small meetings? Think about the people in your life now that need, they're crippled, they're lost, they're afraid, they feel outside, they need to be invited into this experience that Jesus saves and nothing else does. And I wanna say this to you, if you just heard any of that stuff I said and you're like, that's me. I feel crippled, I feel paralyzed, I feel like I'm outside the gate, I feel like I don't belong. Yeah, I'm sitting in this space, but I still feel like an outsider. I still feel like I have too much sin, I'm not worthy enough to go through that gate. I'm not beautiful, I'm ugly, he's beautiful, but I am filthy and, 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 and I have sin and I, I've done things I shouldn't have done and I feel like I'm abandoned and I'm an orphan. Hear this, because of God's great love, he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to die upon the cross, to shed his blood, to purchase for you sonship, to purchase for you daughtership, to make you royalty. He loves you. Go to him. Go to the gate. Don't wait. Don't wait. Go to Jesus. This is his will for your life. He longs, God of the universe longs to make you a part of his family and to call you a child of his. Jesus is the beautiful gate and he gives us the beautiful feet to carry this message to all the lost sheep in our lives. Let's do it. Let's preach the gospel. Let's gather together in worship and let's love one another like shepherds and gatekeepers in our relationships and in our small groups. Would you stand? Jesus, you are beautiful and there is nothing more important than just declaring that from our hearts and from our souls that the king of the universe saves, that he comes down from the expanse that's beyond our knowing and he makes himself a sacrifice to save. He is good, he is holy, he is loving. God, touch our hearts this morning, God.